Olá pessoal, tudo bem? And welcome to the Brazil Crypto Report podcast, where we talk to the builders, entrepreneurs, and influencers from across the Brazil crypto ecosystem. I'm your host, Aaron Stanley, and today I'm joined by an old friend, actually, Bobby Ong, who is the co-founder of CoinGecko, which is one of the leading crypto data and analytics platforms. Uh, and Bobby's joining us all the way from Malaysia. So welcome, Bobby. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Um, I love reading your newsletters. Look forward to receiving it every week. So I'm very excited to be on this podcast. Amazing. Thanks so much for taking the time here. Um, well, to get started, why don't you just give us a quick little introduction of yourself and uh, CoinGecko? Yeah, sure. So my name is Bobby. I'm the co-founder and COO of CoinGecko. So I first got into crypto in 2013, uh, right after graduating. I did a degree in economics and uh, I felt my degree was obsolete right after graduating in 2012. Found out about Bitcoin, decided to, to, to go down this rabbit hole, and I guess the rest is history. Uh, my co-founder and I, TM, we started uh, CoinGecko in Malaysia um, in April 2014. So it's been a long journey. It's over eight years now. Um, we have this vision that anything that can be tokenized will be tokenized. So what we are seeing will be in the future will be millions of tokens and this would be a very confusing world and we hope that CoinGecko will be the infrastructure, the place to kind of help people make sense of this world with millions of tokens to find out all the token information, token price, token market cap, and so on. And that's what we want to do. We want to help democratize information, help make this information accessible and help people make sense of all this data. Great. And Listeners are probably most familiar with CoinGecko as uh, you know a place, a very useful place for checking prices. Uh, I check it probably you know many many times per day, probably more than I care to admit. But what what else does CoinGecko offer aside from just uh, price data? So yeah, uh, price is kind of like the bread and butter. Uh, what we a lot of people also refer to us to get a market cap for coins. So they want to compare Coin A against Coin B as a market cap. Uh, people also look to us to kind of get the fully diluted valuation. They do kind of comparison, deeper analysis into these things. Um, more lately, uh, we started doing tokenomics for coins. So for example, if you go to various coins, we started um, compiling the information for the supply schedule. So how many percent of the coins belongs to the, has been distributed to the investors, the advisors, the team, and so on. Uh, we try to get information on what was the price for the investors and in, in, in the various investment rounds? What was the, uh, what is the the supply schedule? When are the next big unlocks happening for and when uh, for, for for the various coins? So this is a very manual process, but that's kind of what we do. Uh, the other things that we also track, and a lot of people don't realize this, is we uh, started tracking the floor prices of the various NFTs. So we, at the moment, we have Ethereum, Polygon. We are looking to expand across more chains and more marketplaces. So if you want to see the floor price of Azuki or BAYC or various other things, you can kind of go to CoinGecko, the website at the moment, click on the search box and, and, and search for it. We don't have it on an app yet, but it's kind of plan is to move it to the app as well so they can kind of get a whole view because nfts are probably going to be the big thing as well uh besides fungible token that's kind of a trend that we notice uh some of the things that we do we also do a lot of uh reports so every quarter we do a crypto report on the state of the crypto market and uh, we started being more active on social so we have uh youtube and TikTok. So I guess if you are intro to be, uh, to crypto, like feel free to follow our, our channels and, and you have a lot of this content. So yeah, I guess that's kind of a 360 overview of, of kind of what we do. We have definitely expanded the scope over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, you definitely have the best logo in crypto also, I would say. Uh, very subjective, but uh, I, I still have my CoinGecko shirt that I wear with pride from, I think I got it like four years ago. It's still it's too small on me now, but I I still. <laughs> yeah, I like talking to you about that. Come to one of your events here. I get another one, but one yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when 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 we started with CoinGecko um, in 2014, like all the brand names were very serious. Um, was just CoinSomething.com and you know, Coinbase, CoinDesk, CoinTelegraph, and 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 so on. Um, we thought that you know, crypto doesn't have to be. A serious sounding name, it can be a, 
a brand that can be, you know, easygoing. Uh, and we thought we wanted a mascot that was kind of friendly. So we are looking around for coin, some animal name.com and, and we searched around and, and coingecko.com was one of the domains that were available. So we decided to, yeah, go get, gecko's pretty neutral. Let's, let's go with it. And, and, and we kind of decided to go with, I guess we started a trend and then, and then, and then, and then I think it was around the time of this Dogecoin and then, and now like after DeFi, like there's all this sushi swap, pancake swap and all the various food coins. Like, like this is pretty normalized these days, but, but it was, I guess, kind of not a very common thing back in 2014. I mean, it's been really cool kind of watching you guys grow from, I mean, I think first time we met was, I don't know, maybe 2017, 2018, around that time when, I mean, obviously it was much different season in, in crypto years. And and you guys were still kind of this, you know, sort of outfit out of Southeast Asia that was doing some cool things, but it was, you know, you hadn't really, it didn't seem like you'd really taken off quite yet. And then all of a sudden, I think when Binance announced that it was buying coin market cap and then FTX acquired Blockfolio, and there's all these kind of deals in the works for like data, crypto data companies, right? That were, I mean, I think that seems to be when you guys started really kind of picking up a lot of traction and you know, went from being kind of like a, a small shop Kuala Lumpur to being really like a globally recognized. I mean, some people would probably argue you guys are kind of the gold standard for like crypto data and, and price data and whatnot. I mean, what has that journey been like the last couple of years? I assume you've been at just like front and center of all of this. Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I think I think kind of like always, I like to put CoinGecko's journey to two different fronts, like uh, between 2014, 2017 um, was kind of like crypto was kind of in its first best maybe first bear cycle. Uh, and TM and I, we believe in crypto, but uh, also the market seems really small at that point in time. And we've seen a lot of startups raise quite a lot of money at that point in time, kind of just crash and burn after, uh, especially in 2017, uh, 20, late 2016, mid 2017, before the market started picking up. Um, yeah, in 2017. Um, so we were, we actually have our day jobs and we kind of kept this as a side hustle, I suppose. Um, and, and 2018 was 2017, 2018, 2018, we started hiring our first, our first, first team member and, and we started growing it. So I guess things started really moving exponentially from 2018 onwards before that was just TM and I. Um, so we went full-time around 2017 and then kind of grow from then on. And, and I think over the years, so like at this point in time, we have about 55 team members uh, building this thing. And really, CoinGecko was just scratching out each at the start uh, how to solve all these things. And over the years, kind of expanded the scope on what we want to do and all. Uh, I think 2020, 2020 really kind of uh, changed the trajectory for CoinGecko. You mentioned the coin market cap acquisition. That, that, that's obviously a big thing. Um, two things happened in 2020. So one was people wanted a more, when Binance acquired CoinMarketCap, they, they kind of did some weird stuff with the algorithm and rankings and people really didn't trust what was being reported on CoinMarketCap anymore. So people were looking for an, an alternative independent source and, and we just happened to be the right place at the right time. And, and a lot of people kind of switched to us. We were the second largest player uh, nipping on CoinMarketCap CEO and people kind of switched over. The other thing that really, I guess, helped us in 2020 was the DeFi bull run. So um, websites like CoinGecko and, and CoinMarketCap and the rest, they're all pretty much built to support centralized exchanges. So what this means is that the, the way we calculate prices for all those tokens on CoinGecko and, and these price checking websites are basically a volume-weighted average price for, for the tokens. And it's volume-weighted across centralized exchanges. And all these centralized exchanges give us an API to kind of collate and kind of do this VWAP. Um, the big difference that Uniswap came in and Uniswap was pretty much the first DEX that kind of gained significant trading volume. I mean, we have previous DEXs like Ether Delta, you know, but they didn't really get traction. Uniswap came in and kind of changed the game plan. Now, anybody could kind of get any tokens listed this uh, without getting permission from any centralized exchanges. Suddenly, what we saw was an explosion of tokens being listed on Uniswap. A lot of these tokens were the early DeFi blue chip coins like you know, Aave or Compound and so on. And unfortunately, there wasn't any API from, from Uniswap. They just say, just get the data from the blockchain because everything's on chain. So mm -hmm. it's very easy for the team to say there's such a thing, but from an aggregator with its legacy uh, way of doing things, we were expecting an API, a REST API from you know, something like, like the Binance or Coinbase's API, but there, suddenly there was none. So this 
technological shift, if you may, uh, required us to do quite some R&D. So TM spent quite some time trying to figure things out. And eventually we figured out that the graph provides a subgraph that allows us to query information on a chain. And, and using subgraphs, we could kind of get prices from Uniswap. And when we are able to query Uniswap's data, we could kind of basically add all the coins on that's trading on, on, on Uniswap. And, and we obviously we didn't add all the coins. We just added the coins that were kind of popular or trending on, on Uniswap. And, and because we were able to figure this out first and nobody else could figure this out, this really allowed us to kind of add all these coins. And for a period of time, I think six months or so, like CoinGecko was pretty much the only place in town to check prices for these various cryptos. So yeah, that, that was kind of a big thing that, that took place. And I guess really solidify our position. Obviously things have changed. And then, I mean, CoinMarketCap has built this feature eventually. So there, there was no, no advantage whatsoever, but that was kind of like the big thing that happened in 2020 for us. Yeah. And obviously that, that 2020 was uh, the DeFi summer, which kind of kicked off into, you know, some of the food coin crazy stuff that happened in the fall there. I mean, that was, that was really, I mean, that's when I first really got into DeFi heavily. That's when, you know, most people I think got into DeFi heavily and it, you know, finding information that was reliable was like, you know, a very difficult thing at that point in time. Especially like yeah. all, all these new coins were just coming on and like, you're like, what the heck are these things? I didn't realize that backstory on that. So that, that's a super interesting color there. And, and obviously, you know, the others have caught up, kind of figured that out as well. But like you guys have kind of shifted and you're adding new products, you know, really focusing on like the NFTs and the NFT floors. And that's, I mean, that's all obviously yeah. like super important now. And, and obviously a, I would assume a pretty huge source of your, your traffic at this point. Yeah. Uh, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit to kind of focusing on, I guess, Brazil and maybe like some of these different mark, how you kind of look at, um, I mean, you're looking at just kind of crypto data from like, you're aggregating it from all these different exchanges um, around the world and, um, or some of these DEXs in the case of what you were just describing. And crypto is obviously like a global market. It's not necessarily like segmented by country, like, like traditional finance uh, is. And I'm just kind of curious as to, I mean, you, you do have uh, a page on here where you've, you're kind of localizing uh, based on like top trending cryptocurrencies in, in like, you know, various different markets and different languages. Uh, I do often link to your uh, Brazil page. Uh, uh, I try to link to that at least, you know, once or twice a month in my newsletter. That's just kind of showcasing what are the most popular coins in the Brazil market. Uh, and it's always kind of interesting to see what, what comes up on there. Uh, I would like to just hear at kind of a higher level of like, how do you guys kind of look at all these different markets? What capacity do you have to kind of focus in on like a given market, uh, just given the global nature of, of this industry? And then how are you guys identifying which coins are trending in any given like physical market at any given time? Yeah, sure. I think I think that's a fantastic question. So I think I think there's a few parts to this question, and um, I'd like to allude to your point on on crypto being a global market. And coming from Malaysia, and I kind of consider Malaysia pretty much in the in the same economic ladder of uh mid range, mid developing country compared to it's definitely not a developed country. So I think Brazil and Malaysia is probably around the same level of economic development. And and I can probably understand where things are. So a lot of the ideas, like you know. A lot of things that are being developed is a lot of the financial services are developed for the developed markets. And, and a lot of these things are not, it takes a few years to flow down to developing countries. And I think people in Brazil, similar to people in Malaysia, um, it's not easy. I mean, it's not easy trying to get access to buy stocks in the US, for example. You know, in, in the US, there's Robinhood, you can buy stocks Amazon stocks or Facebook or, 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 or Google Alphabet stock is very, or Shopify, very easy to just, you know, on one click of button, you have zero fee trading and you buy all these stocks and sell them, buy options and all. In, in Malaysia, like our brokers are pretty bad. It's not easy to, to get access. Anyway, if you do have, you do manage to figure out how to open a brokerage account and get all these things, like getting your money onshore to a, you know, licensed account, brokerage account. The minimum size to buy one lot i don't know one lot could be one share it's not cheap like i mean the, the stock price of amazon what's the price of amazon share price now i think it's 237 usd so you, the minimum you need to buy is 137 dollars that's like 
I don't know, half a month's wage or maybe more for someone in Malaysia or Brazil, for example. So, so there's no fractional concept of fractional stocks that you can buy. And a lot of the time, the banks charge very high minimum purchases and very high trading fees to even have access to Amazon. So for, for a lot of people in developing countries, having access to good investment grade opportunities is very low and it's also very expensive. So, so, so because I was trying to buy all these stocks, but it's just almost impossible. Very, very expensive. And, and people are looking for opportunities to invest in the market. Um, inflation could be high, maybe not so much in Brazil, but in like Latin America countries, people want to have stable investments. And what I realized over the years was that, I mean, each country has its own unique take on crypto, but everyone pretty much have the same objective. They're just looking for ways to make money, good investment, great opportunities. Uh, things could be like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and, and so on, for example, but, but not many places. That being said, there are certain nuances between countries and certain coins trend in certain countries compared to the rest. I think countries like maybe Brazil, Philippines, and so on, and maybe Malaysia included as well. Meme coins and, and GameFi tokens probably have a larger advantage as well. I mean, larger popularity. Because people are more interested in making money, they don't really care about the fundamental of a, any coin. Ponzi's and scams probably run around in the traditional sense as well. And this kind of maybe shifted to crypto to some extent to the meme coins. Some of them got I guess BSC is probably the network where there's a lot of meme coin, maybe Doge chains coming out. So anything that kind of have high volatility probably attracts a lot of attention. Any play to earn games uh, are popular because the salaries for a lot of these people uh, in a lot of these developing countries are relatively low. So even the ability to kind of make like, I don't know, $5 extra per day playing some simple games in your free time is very attractive to a lot of people in these countries. So I think if you look through this top trending cryptocurrencies page in Brazil and you're asking me how do we curate and curate this, this list, it's basically based on the number of page views for this coin in a particular period of time. So what we see is that at this point in time, the top trending coins in Brazil is Baby Dogecoin. Like this coin received the most amount of traffic from Brazilian IP addresses on CoinGecko. Mm. I have no idea what Baby Dogecoin is, but it is most likely a meme token. That was going to be and, my next question. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. But we can move down the list. Number two on this list is SLP, Smooth Love Potion, which is the, the farming token for X Infinity. And my guess is Axie Infinities have gone down a lot, but even though the price has gone down a lot, it's still profitable for Brazilians to spend some time and play Axie to make that one or $2 a day because that will make a big change. Maybe with someone in a village, I have no idea. Maybe they could be some in the faelas, for example, in, 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 the, in, the, in the slums. I have no idea. But, but that one or $2 make a big difference to this guy. The next is Bitcoin. Makes sense. I mean, it's more the blue chip. Or maybe they're, they're selling their coins to Bitcoin. Maybe the more professional guys are looking at Bitcoin. Bomb Crypto is, is a GameFi project. I think it's based out of Vietnam. And I think Vietnam has very similar uh, trends. Uh, a lot of people are participating in GameFi project to farm tokens. I think big difference between Vietnam is that Vietnam has a lot of developers. Axie Infinity, as we know, has the team building out of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. uh, Shiba Inu is a meme coin. Ethereum is the next one. BNB, you see, BNB is number five. So kind of, I guess my answer, like a lot of these tokens are kind of concentrated on a BSC ecosystem, I suppose. And then Polygon, no idea what ship generating is. The finance smart chain, right? Or the uh, or BNB chain, whatever they've they've rebranded to now. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that that's kind of uh, uh my answer. Uh I mean I'm seeing Sandspark is another game five token, Chili's. I think they have some uh fan token for some Brazilian football club. So maybe they have some sort of following there, my guess. But yeah, that's kind of my take. That's an interesting angle because around this time last year, pretty much you know all of these major Brazilian football clubs were launching their own fan tokens on uh, in Chili's. They were using like the Chili's platform, uh, or I'm not sure if it's the Chili's blockchain. I'm not even sure how it works exactly. Yeah, some of them, but I can't remember exactly how it works. I mean, these are the types of things that they've been. They were in the news when they launched, and then they haven't been in the news since. So I, I don't get the sense they're doing very well. But it is kind of an interesting concept where, okay, if you buy 
you know, X amount of like Flamingo coins, you get, you get some sort of exclusive access to, you know, uh, some sort of experience, you know, place, play a game with the players or something, but like Chili's isn't one you really hear about much, I guess, at least in kind of the mainstream crypto world, I suppose. But here it's interesting that it's made that list of, of, of the top. uh, So you have, you have an interesting mix of, you know, you have the, the usual suspects, right? Your Bitcoin, your Ethereum, Solana, your BNB coin. I mean, even though, you know, I, I think most people, most people wouldn't, would argue that like BNB chain, Binance Smart Chain is probably not like a really like serious like environment, I guess, but like there's still yeah. a lot of activity that happens there. Uh, and BNB yeah. is obviously kind of the native coin of that e- ecosystem. And then you have your share of just, you know, kind of like there's meme coins, there's, there's the SHIB, SHIB generating, which uh, I have no idea what that is. Um, <laughs> And then you have like your baby Doge coin, which um, which we talked about earlier. So you have this interesting mix of kind of your blue chip stuff and some of these GameFi coins, and then just meme coins that are basically just punts, and you're you're hoping this thing just like hundred Xs, you know, the next bull run, and you can dump it on somebody kind of thing. I mean, if we were to take this this list here, I mean, this you know, I think we kind of get a sense from looking at this list, like okay, like this is sort of what Brazilian customers or, or crypto people are interested in. How would this compare to? Like a Malaysia, like if we were to localize this for Malaysia, do you think there would be, would we see similar trends here or how would this compare to maybe some other markets that you guys focus on? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I'm just looking at this page on CoinGecko and, and, and we don't have it for every country, but we have it for a few countries like Turkey, Philippines, Indonesia, India. So I'm going through the the list in, 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 in India right now and Shiba Inu is there. We have a few layer one like Bitcoin, FMOS, um, Ethereum, Terra Luna Classic is still trending in India for some reason. <laughs> Either they are legates or something. I'm not so sure. Pink Sale is there in India. Pink Sale is a and an, a launchpad for BSC shitcoins, if you may. Um, so, so I think I think uh, I'm I'm let's go for Philippines. Philippines, you have Shiba Inu, X Infinity, SLP is number one in Philippines. Um. Yeah, bomb cryptos there as well. So I think Philippines is very similar. You have a lot of the the GameFi tokens, some blue chips here and there. Uh, BNB is obviously there again. Uh, Turkey, I'm sure t- BNB will be pretty high up. Oops, BNB is not there actually. GST is pretty big up in uh, Turkey. So Stepan is a move to an app. Um, I, it was very profitable at one point, but it follows the same mechanics as XC Infinity. And I, I find it pretty interesting. I use it every day as well to just make an extra, I don't know, 50 cent or whatever, just from walking. But I thought it was it was fun. Uh, FMOS, Aptos. No, Aptos is just not there. Uh, Shiba Inu is there as well. Shiba Inu is kind of trending in many countries. Floki Inu is in Turkey. Indonesia, let's take a look. So yeah, Shiba Inu is right there as well. Bitcoins, SLP. So kind of get a BNB is there as well. You get an idea. I think, I think, I would like to emphasize like um a lot of us kind of like shrug off at all the meme coin or shit coins that's being added on BSC in the sense that we feel that there's no serious project on BSC network. But I think for people in developing countries, you gotta don't underestimate the amount of marketing and publicity that that these projects do to reach out to all the unsophisticated investors and traders in these developing markets and and bsc serves this niche like we are having a professional conversation here in crypto and and we probably dismiss it completely there's there's like no serious investors or trader would look into bsc but for the retail community it is pretty much a big thing for for them and 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 there's a lot of activity going around and I, i think the binance team probably understands it and encourages such things i have no idea if they do but we don't see it, but there is a lot of activity and a lot of interest among these communities. Mm. Um, I guess two or oh, another follow up on that before I get jump into that. I was before we before we start talking ta- condescendingly <laughs> on these uh, about these markets. If you go to the U.S. trending in U.S. page, it's a whole host of shit coins. Uh, <laughs> uh, Pepe Gold, you know, a bunch of stuff that I've never even heard of. DeFi skeletons. Um, so it's like, you know, the US isn't exactly the market of serious investors either, I suppose, based on this list. But I mean, I think I think to your point about BSC, and, and this is interesting too, because BNB chain, uh, I mean, they they recently announced that they're making some kind of a big kind of advocacy push in Latin America. They're trying to do some, you know, some grants for like web three developers and trying to do a bit more education. Like they seem to do they do seem to be making a push in that region. I mean, if we want to 
pontificate here that you know the quote unquote serious crypto people like dismiss BNB chain. I personally have just because I got rug pulled on one of these projects last year, and I've <laughs> just not not going to deal with that anymore. So I do I do have some money locked up on Pancake Swap, so I do have some you know Pancake Swap tokens uh, that I'm staking. So hopefully they'll be worth something someday. But I think your point is good, and that like I mean even like looking at these at these lists, you're like you know some of these coins like we've never even heard of these things, but they're super popular. How are how how are retail investors in Brazil learning about these projects, or like like how how do you even find out where to look to to get involved in one of these things or to to purchase one of these things? I think it depends, right? Whether it's meme coins or like GameFi tokens, right? So a lot of GameFi is also built on BSC. Uh, so I think for GameFi, that's pretty self-explanatory in a sense that if it, anything that allows you to make money, like be playing a game for two hours or ten hours or or move to earn, play to earn. Lighting that kind of spread pretty organically, like it just takes one or two users and probably some influencers, you know, asking their friends to just join because why not make money, right? Extra money is always good. So GameFi kind of has this, this trajectory where as long as you make money and, and a lot of these guys, like the, the difference between playing this GameFi, and I like to compare this with uh, a, a, a Grab Grab, which is like the Uber equivalent in Malaysia, a Grab motorbike rider versus playing a game like the, the conditions that these guys are working on the street, delivering food to 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 people around around the town, around the cities is pretty pretty harsh, right? Like mm-hmm. like things is very hot in the afternoon. These guys are riding motorbike at high speed, or maybe it's raining heavily just to deliver like, you know, a piece of a cake or, or or rice or whatever bread to some rich guy, right? For example, and just to get the extra, I don't know, fifty cents, for example, fifty American cents for one delivery. Whereas these guys could be spending their time in their bedrooms playing a game of X Infinity for two for for and 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 making like a few dollars, and that's probably a better trade off than riding a motorbike. I mean, these days it probably doesn't make the the returns from playing X Infinity is lower than than driving a bike, but during a peak of X Infinity, like it was definitely more profitable to play the game. Um. In terms of all the other shit coins, the meme coins, I, I may have a theory. I don't know specifically how it works in Brazil, but and this is a theory that I've seen in Vietnam. So I went to Vietnam a few years ago trying to understand what are kind of the trending coins and, and things that's happening in Vietnam. One of the things, because financial education, financial literacy is pretty low in a lot of these countries, what ends up happening is all these guys just look up to a leader or to a key influencer and they take their advice very seriously so what ends up happening is they have whatsapp group or telegram groups uh pretty much private chat conversations where there is usually a leader and this leader will tell you to you know or maybe this guy say i'm buying x coin uh bitcoin for example and then and then he makes i don't know if it's pump and dumb but like he basically people just follows blindly to his trade moves because mm. these guys don't know any better because they're not educated so these guys there's this key influencer i suppose will be going around here's my trading link to binance i'm buying shiba inu token like follow and then these guys just blindly buy so follow so there's quite a lot of these things happening in vietnam and i noticed like a lot that at least people were telling me that it would just follow the leader just whatever the leader does you just follow and you either make money or you just get you know, get bomb, I suppose. But maybe this thing is happening in Brazil as well. Uh, it's all in Brazilian in their local dialect and and also maybe that's something to check. But I think a lot of these things is happening in developing markets. I, mean, I do think that's probably pretty accurate for Brazil as well, where you have, I mean, I think there's been even some, I think I reported on this in my most recent newsletter where there's some some talk out of like the Securities and Exchange Commission about kind of subjecting influencers, quote unquote, to, to more stronger regulations, like guys on YouTube who are shilling coins and that kind of thing. And um, and I do think that there's, to your point about some of the marketing efforts that that some of these projects undertake, there is you know, obviously like getting one or two influencers to start pumping your coin if you get the right person. But crypto is such a complicated place, right? Where the information channels are so uh, fragmented and they're fragmented. It's it's a global industry, but information gets very fragmented based on like geography, right? So I find it really interesting looking at like these pages that you have curated where you can look and see which coins are of most interest by country and kind of drawing on some of this, some of these trends and some of these data. Um, 
so I, I think that's really that's really cool that you guys do that. And I think it's it's super insightful. And um, this is probably I mean this is the most what you guys put together here is the most um, like this is the only website I found that even tracks this type of information. So um, you know it may not be like hundred percent you know accurate or whatever, but like it's I think it's the best glimpse that we have into like what these individual markets people in these markets are most interested in. So. So thank you for doing that. Uh, it makes me yeah. my my job a little bit easier, I guess, gives, <laughs> and gives us yeah. fun things to talk about on podcasts like. Yeah, this. it's interesting that Chili's up there as well. I mean, that you said like uh, the football club analogy. Like, I I don't know how many clubs they've signed up, but it makes sense. All the Brazilian clubs are kind of short on cash, and anything that can make money will probably be good for them. Um, I mean, I didn't really buy any of their, their their fan tokens when they launched because I don't support any of the Brazilian any of their football club but when they launched Arsenal FC fan token on Chile it's like okay that really got me to buy because I'm a I'm a I'm a big supporter of, of Arsenal football club and and like and and finally it got me to push so I bought some I mean it wasn't a lot I mean it's down down bad as well but but that was interesting I kind of have some exposure because of the football club so I think it's if if, if you are a big supporter of like you know, I mean, they have PSG, Man City, you know, but like in Brazil, like, I mean, Flamingo or whatever, right? Like, you you may, even even, even if 1% of the users, like, uh, of the fan buys the token, like, that is the Chili's user. And they, because everything trades against uh, CHZ it, uh, on their own Chili's blockchain. So, so that, I guess that's why it's uh, trending in Brazil. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, you know, this might be a subject for for like a, an, another podcast with with the socio, so that with the Chili's people to talk more about like what type of uptake they're seeing on these on these fan tokens because it is an interesting concept. So the fan token experiment is one I'm kind of watching closely to see like you know does this actually work or not? Does this? Because on one hand you could argue it. I want to you argue like this is a really interesting innovation that it gives you know fans like some sort of financial stake in like their team to some extent like. You know the the club does really good. The token goes up in price. Whatever they the club signs a a good player, then the token goes up in price. Uh, but you could also argue that it's just a gimmick. Uh, yep. It's like okay, like you know, you you buy you 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 know you buy a hundred of these tokens, and um, you know we'll give you like you know a free hot dog at the game or something, right? Or like uh, you know like <laughs> you get like a free beer when you go to the yeah. okay whatever. Like it's yeah. not, you know, you're not really getting anything out of that that you couldn't otherwise um well like like shifting gears here a little bit i'd, I'd like kind of like your thoughts on you read we were kind of talking before before we started recording here like you you've been reading my newsletter a little bit you've kind of been you know following the market and and obviously from a distance but you you're about as intimately plugged into the you know kind of the crypto world as anybody here and i guess i would just like to get your sense on like what do you find most interesting about this particular market the brazilian market uh for crypto uh, at this stage in the game, I mean, there is, uh, you know, there's, I mean, readers will and listeners of this podcast will know that there's like just tons of stuff going on right now, um, even amidst the the so-called winter. Um, yep. But I would love to kind of get your thoughts on like what do you find most interesting about what's happening right now? Yeah, I think I think I mean Latin America is pretty far away from where I'm located and everything is kind of written in Spanish or Portuguese in Brazil, for example. So it's always very hard to get information. Uh, the only way to really understand the market is to have boots on the ground and to spend some time talking to locals. And and I, I think you're pretty much a local in Brazil at this point, uh, by this time. And I, and I, when I started seeing you writing this newsletter, I was like, okay, this is a newsletter I must subscribe because it's a region or it's a market that I have no idea what's happening. And I thought like, and I look forward to receiving your newsletter every week. Uh, it's super insightful. Uh, so thank you very much for curating it. Um, I guess it makes sense. I mean, Brazil is a pretty big country. It's got 200 over million population. Um, basically for crypto, like the only way to expand is basically look through the list and countries that have most number of people and then you just go expand heavily in there because that's kind of how you drive the the, the transaction volume transaction numbers user count wallet count up for a lot of these these chains and to a large extent um we see that in coin gecko as well i mean the biggest market is obviously you know us which also have a large population but then followed by europe japan pretty affluent countries but after those affluent countries that like places where um that have huge population Brazil, uh, Indonesia, India, Turkey, Vietnam, 
Brazil, obviously, is uh, are places where, where where there's a lot of interest in, in, in that we receive page views for CoinGecko as well. So I what I find very fascinating reading your newsletter and I kind of learned a lot was kind of like the the I guess the local battles that all the centralized exchanges are having in uh, Brazil. We talk you talk a lot about uh the MAs that talks uh talk about a binance and coinbase uh, either coming in organically or trying to buy somebody else up so that was very fascinating to me i didn't know like the large centralized exchanges are kind of having a keen eye on brazil and and i find that very interesting looking at reading up all this drama news every week i suppose <laughs> yeah there's definitely no shortage of it right so i guess it's enough to sort of create a you know a netflix series or something when it's all <laughs> I mean, how do you see like what Binance has been doing in Brazil vis-a-vis -vis, like what, how they operate like everywhere else is this, there's this kind of like this savviness that CZ has to him about like knowing which levers to pull and when it seems. And I just kind of like your thoughts on uh, any, any like similarities or differences that you see. I think it's pretty similar to how they operate in the rest of the other regions uh, in a sense that launch fast, move fast, break things, I suppose. Um, and then try to apologize later if, if some authorities find that they have committed some wrongdoings, I suppose. Um, they, I mean, I think CZ is going, going after like, I mean, follows uh, the blitz scaling book very closely. So, and then just go out and expand at all costs. Uh, I think he's taken on a very, he's not conservative when it comes to regulations. So compared to maybe Mercado Bitcoin or Coinbase, which probably are on the side of being conservative and playing good with the SEC uh, of, of the Brazil. And uh, I think Binance CZ just kind of like launch first and then we will apply for licenses later. And then like by then, like, you know, everybody in the world, I mean, everybody in Brazil probably using Binance and, and they're probably used to it. And even if they, they the, the SC like, you know, coming climb down, like they probably be as huge people who just want to use uh Binance. So I think I think I think Binance this still not regulated in many countries. A lot of countries they have they don't really have licenses. Um I think some of these licenses, uh, you know, when you apply for licenses, it's pretty restrictive. A lot of the things that that Binance is trying to do is probably outlawed once they get a license. So I don't know if, if Binance really wants to get a license or, or just a I don't know, smoke screen, maybe. I don't know what you want to say, but um, but 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 it's interesting. I think uh seeing how they grow. I think a lot of countries would not allow for derivatives trading, and that's I think there's two parts where I think Binance finds themselves in a lot of hot soup in a lot of this jurisdiction. One is the P2P trading platform, the fiat crypto on-ramp portion. Uh, I mean, Binance was put on the investor alert list in Malaysia because they don't have a license. So be mainly because of, I, I guess, because of the, the, the P2P platform. The other part that Binance always finds themselves in hot soup is the derivatives trading. And a lot of countries find that it's too risky for their, for their population instead of the spot trading. But let's see, right? I mean, who knows? I'm not a... I, I don't work in Binance, so I have no idea what they do, but, but yeah, that's at least some kind of observation, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, just because they seem to be running kind of the same playbook in a lot of different countries, at least from my vantage point. And they inevitably, you know, they, they run into the same hurdles in each different place. And they've at every place, they've got maybe a different way of, of approaching those hurdles. And there's nothing wrong with that as well, right? Because, I mean, this playbook, we've seen this played by some of the other Web2 companies. I think Uber is a pretty good example of, of going down this playbook. I mean, Airbnb to some extent as well. I mean, uh, ride-hailing and, and opening up your house to random strangers at, uh, competing as a hotel industry uh, is pretty much uh, restricted areas for many uh, cities. Mm -hmm. Uber just went out and launched Uber in many different cities, in many different countries, and then when the politicians came out and want to regulate uh, Uber, then they, this, I mean, the, the founder of Uber came by and they tried to smooth things out with the politicians and try to shape regulations to mm -hmm. their favor. And I think Binance saw this playbook, especially with Uber, and tried to put this in place. Obviously, with financial services, things are probably trickier with the reg financial regulators, but I think still, verdict's still out, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to take on like taxi cab unions. It's another thing yep. to take on, you know, financial services regulation, uh, infrastructure and, you know, traditional banks and this kind of thing who are usually the most powerful people in all these countries. But it is interesting that at least in Latin America, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is the case elsewhere. I would assume it probably is. I just haven't looked. But a lot of these key hires that 
that you see these people making like Binance and some of these other exchanges that are really looking to make a big play in Latin America. You go look at their LinkedIn profiles and they're all like, Oh, like X Uber, like X, whatever X, some other big tech. So that, that, you know, that they're clearly using that playbook and they're finding people that know how to execute this playbook. Uh, so I think you're, you're spot on there. Just for a, kind of a last question here, I wanted to go back to a subject we touched on briefly earlier, which is GameFi, you know, play to earn gaming or whatever, whatever people want to call it nowadays, I guess. This was a big thing around this time last year, uh, really kind of took off, started taking off in 2020. How do you see kind of this GameFi ecosystem developing further in, in, in like, uh, not just Brazil, but any emerging market, quote unquote, country? And how is this something that retail crypto folks can like get involved in, in these countries in a way that's, that's not just going to be a total rug pull? Yeah. So I think, I think those are interesting questions. And I, I think GameFi and NFTs are probably the two levers that will drive crypto to mainstream adoption in the sense that games, um, one of the most popular apps on on the Android and the iOS platforms. People want something that uh, that is entertaining that can allow them to pass time, for example. And and I think if you look at the past twelve months, uh, the number of investments that have gone into GameFi startups, like there's just so many uh, st- crypto startups that have crypto GameFi startups have raised funds from pretty top notch investors, mid tier investors. Uh, a lot of them are kind of in the various stages of development. Some of them are earlier, have launched like Axie. Some of them haven't launched and some of them will be launching. Games are one of those things where it's a it's a hit and miss kind of thing. Big studios like Tencent, they probably invest in like 50 different games and then one, only one or two will become massive hits. I, I think that's going to happen as well. Uh, all these... Looking at the amount of money that have gone into GameFi startups, uh, there will be, I don't know, 100, 200, maybe 500 games that will be launched. Most will probably fail and, and it goes to zero. But my guess is in the next 12 months, at least one game will go big. I don't know which one is what we have to see. The, the main issue with games right now, there's two parts to it. One is a lot of these crypto games are just not fun. Uh, you may argue that Axie, um, you know, some people will say it's fun, but maybe some others will say it's not as fun. It's, 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 a, it's viewed by many who play them as kind of a job that you kind of grind and collect. Nothing wrong with that. We see that in many gameplays as well. Uh, a lot of people just farm digital assets to kind of uh, uh, get something and sell that to different players. Uh, but I think the fun element is pretty important because that will be needed to fix the tokenomics in a lot of this issue. A lot of the games right now, they, they follow the X Infinity model, which relies on the growth rate of new players coming in. The moment the, the rate of growth of new players coming into the game ecosystem slows down, the token goes down and it's kind of a death spiral, I suppose. And it's hard to restart things again. It's like by definition, a Ponzi scheme, right? Where it's like, once, <laughs> once like people stop coming, like, the game's kind of over at that point, right? Yeah. So I think I think two things, right? One is uh, the games need to be fun. So people are willing to spend money to play the game just to have fun. The tokens just like how you get normal points playing Candy Crush, for example. People spend a lot of money playing Candy Crush and there needs to be a game that has, instead of centralized points, it will be represented as crypto tokens, but people are willing to put more money into the game just to have fun. So I think that, portion needs to come from some of the games the fun element the second part is there needs to the, the tokenomics for the axs and slp is kind of broken right now uh different a lot of teams are kind of copying this model but but there needs to be innovation there needs to be a lot more token things uh like the nfts for xe just kind of this explosion of XE NFTs going around. There needs to be some sort of a burn mechanism going around to burn the number of NFTs that have been minted. Um, I think there will be various teams experimenting on these different uh, these different mechanics. We don't know which one will work. So far, nothing has worked yet, but eventually, probably one or two real interesting models will come out and then everybody's going to copy it. So just like how everybody's copying AXS and SLP, but then it's kind of a flawed model, just like how everyone's copying the, the VE tokenomics for Curve, 
right now for DeFi tokens, I think something's going to come out. We don't know what. And then that's probably going to drive the next bull run. So that's that's kind of the two things. I think the a lot of these things now also involves a very high upfront cost. My guess is maybe there's some free to play to earn element coming in as well, or maybe either that or guilds will probably drive. Oh yeah, guilds is probably one thing that I forgot to mention. Guilds actually drive a lot of users in developing country because these are players. They don't have the money to buy a, an Axie NFT, but like they can rent it out. So all of these players call it relationship takes place in guilds. So that's probably going to drive a lot of the, the users growth as well. And I know there are a few of these, these guilds that have emerged in, uh, in Brazil around like Axie around um, uh, what's the spaceship game, the Style. Atlas. Atlas, yeah, Atlas. Stylus, yeah. Well, how do these guilds exactly work? Say I'm somebody in Brazil. I'm like, hey, I really want to play Axie Infinity, but I don't have the resources to be able to like buy into this and like buy all you know the upfront startup costs. I'm gonna go join a guild. Like, like how does that work? So I think during the peak of the Axie bull run, I think you you need three axes to play, and then not all axes are created equal. Some are created, some are special, and 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 they have better 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 fighting abilities compared to the rest. I think cost like. $1,500 to get a set of three axes to compete effectively. That's like, I don't know, three, five months wages for someone in Brazil. Uh, that's a lot of money to put up front. And, and most players don't have the ability to front that much cash or the conviction to even put that much, that much money in. So what the guilds do is they say they will, they, they kind of like a VC, I suppose, they, they put in the cash to buy the assets, the NFT assets, and then they loan it out to the players in return for a for a profit share, so seventy percent of the revenue goes to the players and thirty percent goes to the guilds, for example, and and that's kind of how they they go about recruiting players to play for the guilds games. Despite the fact that the current sort of generation of games has not really been successful, either for maybe perhaps a variety of reasons, like the you know maybe the economics weren't designed properly or. Maybe the you know the crash the whole there's market crash just kind of sucked a lot of the wind out of the sails, uh, or maybe a combination of all these things. Just because this first generation has failed, like we've proven enough essentially that okay, this is kind of the path forward. Where like once we get the economics right, and once we once we kind of get the you know the right barriers, the barrier to entry problem figured out, like this is definitely going to be just based on like what we know from Web two and consumer habits with with Web two apps and things of that nature and you know, Farmville and Candy Crush and all these things. Yep. Uh, like we know that this is something that people, if you just make yeah. the game fun and like yep. addicting enough. It's obviously easier to say to make a game fun, right? But <laughs> a fun game is obviously a lot harder than it is. And I think there's two paths to it. One is a crypto native firm building uh, a game that is fun or uh, some game developers who used to build games for Web2 kind of building the Web3. The other alternative is an existing game that is built purely for Web2, kind of converting and adding a Web3 element into the existing game. So for example, Candy Crush decides that, hey, we're going to represent some of our stuff as NFTs and you know represent some of the points as, 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 as fungible token. Obviously, that's a very risky move and a lot of these Web2 companies would not want to do that. But that doesn't mean that mid-level or struggling web two firm that is looking for engagement couldn't do that. So so we don't know, but 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 those are two models. We don't know which will work. It will be interesting to see how things go. I think the big problem right now is a lot of these apps, these crypto games that we're seeing right now is they're just not as fun to play, not as engaging, not as addictive, I suppose. That makes a lot of sense. There's obviously like a lot of like time and R and D and testing that's to go into making these things perfect. Right, or making these things to the to the level where people want to engage with them and want to keep playing. You don't necessarily need to make it fun because you know that your users aren't really there to have fun. They're there to make money. Yeah, I think a lot of this like incentive, a lot of these game developers are relying on incentives similar to how it's like DeFi but on game. So it's kind of like how all these DeFi ecosystems are kind of relying on liquidity mining incentives just to have people parking their funds, the TVL in there. Once you remove the incentives, the funds and TVL flow out and, and that's kind of a broken model. It's like Uber, mm. like once the idea is you subsidize the users enough and then once the subsidies go away, people just kind of stick with the platform. But but that's not really what we are seeing right now with DeFi and uh, uh, games. A game is like a pretty fungible thing, right? Like if I can go from playing one marginally fun game 
where I'm, I'm earning some nice token payouts that are subsidized by whatever mechanism. And then once those subsidies kind of dry up, like I'll just go to the next game, right? Like I'll go to Bombcoin or whatever. I'll go to crypto cars or crypto planes or whatever. You know, once the, once the incentives dry up, I just go to the next one. I'm not necessarily loyal to the actual game. So yeah. So that, that seems like the, the big difference between that, some of these like CSGO or World mm-hmm. of Warcraft or these games where there's like an entire network and a community built around it where people are playing it for fun for the community, not because they're like making money off of it, I suppose. Well, hey, listen, Bobby, really enjoyed having you on. It's great, great chatting with you again. It's been a couple of years, so always nice to connect. Um, where can people go to learn more about you and uh, CoinGecko? Follow us on Twitter at CoinGecko. Um, we also uh, follow me on Twitter at Bobby Ong. And uh, I think just final word before I leave is that we're also launching a um, DEX tracker uh, called geckoterminal.com. So if you're interested in taking a look at real-time DEX trades across all the different platforms, take a look at geckoterminal.com. When is that uh, when's that launching? It's up and running right now already. Uh forgot to mention it earlier in the podcast. I just thought I just <laughs> mentioned it right before I end this this thing. Yeah, uh, it's up and running. We track over uh I don't know, 30, 30, 30 different uh, layer one chains. I think 200 over um 300 over DEXs right now, close to a million tokens. Pretty much a coin echo takes on a curated approach. This takes on a a, a non-curated approach across all the different all the different tokens added automatically on Gecko Terminal. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we've gotten to a million different tokens now in existence. Yeah. All the spam, scam, shit coins, they all track there. And actually the long story was we built this because we we wanted the infrastructure to read data on chain directly to power CoinGecko. And so all the DEXs on CoinGecko right now, most of them are being powered by the API that we use internally at Gecko Terminal. Dude, you guys are you guys are killing it. So keep up the good work. Love what you guys are doing. Um, loyal user, big fan. So keep it up. Love the logo and love how you guys are continuing to roll out these new products. So look forward to seeing uh, what else is in the roadmap here in the coming months and years. So thanks for for joining and thanks everybody for listening. And we'll be back soon with another great episode. Obrigado everyone. And thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the Brazil Crypto Report newsletter on Substack if you haven't already. And please do give the show a five-star rating on your podcast app if you enjoyed this content. We'll be back soon with another great guest.